and welcome to another episode of Such a Nightmare, Conversations About Horror. As usual, I am Catherine Troyer, and I'm being joined by Anthony Tresca. As usual, hello! This is a podcast devoted to thoughtful discussions about that fine line between the horrific and the horrible. Each episode looks at a specific horror text that is, for better or worse, giving us nightmares. And we are so very excited to have you join us for our conversation over 1987's Evil Dead 2. Yay! This is a fun one. I, I'm just going to come out and say it. I really like this movie. And I think you are in safe company because I too really like this movie. Uh, we, you and I were talking a little bit before about where it fell in terms of uh, the franchise. Um, and we're going to reserve it right now to, you know, just, just the two that we've talked about on the podcast. Um, but I, I may not like it quite as much as, as the original Evil Dead, but I know that you actually like it more. Yeah, that's correct. I think that this is um, this is my favorite Evil Dead film. Uh, so I think it's wonderful. I think that it is funnier than the first one. I think that it makes better use of spectacle, which is something that I had originally praised the first Evil Dead for doing a marvelous job at. I think that Bruce Campbell delivers a better, uh, funny performance. I'm not going to say, I don't know if I would say it's his best overall performance. That may still be an Evil Dead. We can talk about that. But I think he is funnier and he gets to show more of his comedic chops here. And he is, Bruce Campbell is very, very funny. And I also do... I kind of do like, I, I initially did not like the addition of the uh, subplot with the explorers and the hillbillies coming into the cabin. But after seeing it a couple times, I've decided I do quite like the addition of those extra characters in this film. What is it about about that addition, addition that you really uh, find yourself enjoying? I think that I am just particularly struck uh, by... The addition of these are a, there are a lot of of characters. They're not real people. I don't think anyone in Evil Dead Two is a real person, uh, which we will talk about more at more length. But I just really enjoy seeing these kind of outlandish characters that are more common in straightforward uh, comedies. It's, they're clearly inspired from characters in the theatrical tradition of Commedia dell'arte interacting in this horror spectacle and just seeing them be forced to interact with not only the each other in this haunted house environment but also bruce campbell's crazy energy uh because bruce campbell is hamming it up and seeing these characters be forced to interact with bruce campbell's antics is just quite fun so i to back up to some of the things you're saying the first is is that i i do definitely um think that that this is the the version of ash that that built the legacy of of this character i uh, you know he exists fine and and i would i i think i would agree with you that I, i'm not i think that you know bruce campbell um 
performances is perhaps a, a little bit stronger in in the first Evil Dead because he's not trying to ham it up. But but it is this incarnation of of Ash that I think the franchise upon which a franchise was built, right? Yeah. And and as we get to uh, you know uh, Ash versus Evil Dead and things like that, um, I think that 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 can only exist because of this version. So I would agree with you. I think that's one of the real strengths of this film. Um, I think that, you know, what an incredible uh, opportunity, but also I think he, he met the opportunity for Bruce Campbell to be able to like, okay, remember that character? Let's completely do it again. Let's, you know, and, and so I think yeah. he stepped up to the challenge and, and I think he, you know, um, swung uh, and hit a home run. I think it's a it's a different type of performance. It's the difference between in the first film, I think Bruce Campbell was acting, but in Evil Dead Two, I think Bruce Campbell is performing, and I think Bruce Campbell is a far better performer than he is an actor. And that's not to say anything against his acting chops, because I thought he was he did a very nice job uh, acting in the first film, and he still found ways to be very human and create this complex character of Ash. Uh, but I enjoy watching Bruce Campbell perform. He is so silly. He knows what the audience wants to see. He's got an insane face. His face, his eyes and his mouth, just the whole, what he can do with his face is the, insane. The landscape of his face is unique. And then coupled with that, he knows how to work it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and in a, in a way that I think, um, you know, honestly, n- no kidding, um, actors of the craft should study. Because he knows yeah. how to, he does... A good job of knowing when to do micro expressions versus, you know, the bigger ones. Yeah, I would definitely say I, I appreciate that. It's not like the same level of like Robin Williams. To yes. Me. Like some of Robin Williams' best work. I yes. Think, I think Bruce Campbell rivals Robin <laughs> wow, Williams in wow. this movie. I, and you know, you know how much I love Robin Williams. Yeah, that's, so that's a, a bold, big, that's a bold big claim. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and I think it's one that, that is definitely, definitely not without merit. I, I will say that where I do actually have one of the places that I have a problem with this film is the not the um, the other people at the camp um, are coming to the cabin because I actually find it really hysterical this idea that you know this that Ash discovered in the middle of nowhere this cabin that didn't belong to him or anyone he knew and was like this is the place like I think that's a fantastically amusing premise but I I do have a problem particularly with uh, the hillbilly component. And, and I think it helps to have you um, say that, that you see it within the, the light of the larger comedic tradition of these very um, slapstick, very stock characters. That, that helps. But for me, I just, I can't help but, but feel that, um, especially today, I just, I don't want to see that as, as much, right? And it could be that, you know, I'm a product... Um, or that we're in a, pro- a world that is post, like, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, right? So so we have seen what can happen when you take that stereotype and, um, you know, deconstruct it. I don't know if it's that, and so it's... Uh, but I, I do have a problem. I did feel that it was unnecessary um, to go quite that that far, quite that hard. Um, because it, it's a little bit of a... I mean, it's not a little, It's right? It's a problematic depiction of a specific socioeconomic class. Um, and it, it, that even goes to like, you know, like he, he ruins their knowledge, right? Like, so I don't know that part I, I actually feel is perhaps 
for me, one of the film's weaker components. And if that was removed or if it was tweaked in some capacity, uh, I think that I would have had very few complaints about about the film. Yeah, I mean, I think that those are very, very valid uh, criticisms, particularly of the particularly like the I mean, the tendency of media to depict that socioeconomic class in that manner. It's a consistent trope, but I think it's a trope unfortunately for a reason and it has as as i said a, a long history uh of being satirized and being played with and i think that this film does find an interesting way to play with it i don't think that they would be that this if this film was remade today it that they would make the same choices with those characters but i think it is an interesting reflection of 1987 and their views on people from that particular socioeconomic class particularly a highly characterized and stereotypical heightened version of what people from that socioeconomic class look like. I think for me, and and I don't know if this is entirely fair to do to a film, um, especially a film that I'm going to, that was made earlier in someone's career. But I think for me is that I know Raimi is capable of better. And I know that he eventually gets there. Right. Um, And so I think, Part of my problem is is that I have seen some really deft uh, moves of his in terms of characterization through some of his other characters, so I know he's capable of doing better. Uh, And so I think that's for me. Like, it's not that it's not, you know, a typical representation of the time. It's it's not that it isn't something that that maybe is worth probing at. It's just that I I expect more, I think. Um, And and so that leads to my my second concern, um, or criticism with this film and and that is is that i as much as i i appreciate this uh campier version of ash and we'll go into camp more in just a little bit but as much as i appreciate it i feel like the there are some nuances of the character that were present in the first film that are lost as a consequence of where the second film goes so one of the things that we talked about in our episode on Evil Dead was the fact that, uh, you know, Ash is sort of the final girl figure um, and he's he's kind of complicating our sense of, of masculinity and what it is uh, because he's often being rewarded for his, quote, quote, more feminine attributes. Um, and, you know, he survives in a way that the others don't. I, I didn't feel that way with this version of Ash. And so we can start back to the relationship with Linda, right? In the first film, you know, he's he's kind of like tentative and shy, like, you know, if you want to, but we don't have to, um, you know, whereas in this one, and again, he's cheesing it up and she doesn't ever feel like threatened or anything, but he is like, you're ready to get it on. I mean, like, it's just, it's much more, um, he's pursuing the much more typical role. Now there are some exceptions. He, you know, is playing the piano, although mm-hmm. she is quote, dancing sexily. Um, so, you know, but there are exceptions. There are ways in which I think they found ways to connect to his, um, his less traditionally masculine side. But I would argue that, um, his interactions with female characters in this film is not as nuanced as his interactions with female characters in the first film, including his relationship with the, the, um, the daughter of the explorer, uh, or of the scientist, you know, there's that scene at the end where she's like 
tries to shoot him, and then he's like, no, it's me, it's me. And then, like, she stops, and then she tries again, and he, like, shakes her forcefully. Um, I don't know, I just... So much of, of the studiousness, of the thoughtfulness of, of Ash and Evil Dead has been circumvented or minimized in, I think, not necessarily fantastic ways in Evil Dead 2. And I think in that way, the film is almost a step back in terms of character development. I think that a lot of these things stem not necessarily from the Bruce Campbell's performance itself or even... The anything in the film but it comes from the genre the genre this classification of camp susan sontag wrote uh, notes on camp uh, in 1964 which is pretty much a uh, 58 uh, little uh, short sentences sometimes paragraphs where she kind of just breaks down this genre this classification of art because uh, it's not just uh, in re- regard to books or film or plays it's all art all art has the ability to be campy and she creates these 58 rules and i think a lot of the elements the simplistic nature that is present in this film is inherent in the genre of camp and so that's why you see a less sophisticated version of evil dead 2 uh of ash and the rest of the film and the plot and everything in evil dead 2 as opposed to evil dead 1 because that's thus is the nature of this new genre that it's exploring. What we thought we would do for the the remainder of, or a good chunk of the remainder of this episode, is to go through some of these. We've kind of lumped together some of her 58 points. Into yeah, couple... obviously, we will not be going through all 58. No, and, and a good number of them don't really apply, right? Like, But we've kind of lumped them together into a couple categories that we think will be helpful because Anthony you're absolutely correct and I think honestly as much as I like camp I don't love camp um and and be, and so it is that that will always remove me in part because camp is intentionally trying to, to remove you a little bit um right that that prevents me from having the same level of engagement that I think I do with with uh the first evil dead and I I think that this is in this is where it's important to acknowledge our own biases and what our particular tastes are more inclined to because i absolutely adore the extravagant the hot the the campy nature of of things those my favorite films are campy my favorite theater is campy i don't like anything that takes itself too seriously and so evil dead 2 is an absolute walk in the park for me i love it for that reason and obviously i like horror comedy i like comedy quite a bit so i like texts that that know how to be funny but i i don't always like the camp aesthetic which is what sontag is seeking to define right so she says there there are lots of things that may have been in place for a long time um that just have never been named uh and one of them she says um is is this aesthetic or the sensibility of camp and so her very first one is is that the way of camp uh, is not beauty, but in, in terms of the degree of artifice or of stylization. And those are the first, like, her first, like, ten, ten points are really sort of going through this. Okay, so it contains a large element of artifice. Um, as a general taste, it is about uh, the, quote, strongly exaggerated. And then I think this is particularly useful for Evil Dead 2. Camp sees everything in quotation marks. So... In that respect, uh, you know, Evil Dead, as you said, is is a poster child for for this camp aesthetic, because one of the things that 
that is so amazing about this film is I love this idea that we're going to essentially have a film where it's it's like we know you've seen the first film, but we're taking it up a notch, right? It's it's do you, it's. Do you do you want to know why that 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 is the way that this happened? Yes. So Sam Raimi was like, I know what I want to do for Evil Dead Two. I want to set Evil Dead Two in medieval times, and he brought that idea to the people who to his financers from the first uh, film because by uh, the first Evil Dead had been. A moderate success uh, had gained a. It was uh, gained a kind of cult audience, particularly after it received praise from Stephen King. Once once King hopped on board, it kind of got that like mainstream seal of approval, and so studios were like, "Okay, we're interested in hearing about it." But as soon as Raimi said medieval times, they were like, "No, you have to just do it exactly like the first one because this movie was huge and and this is going to be crazy." Italy. This movie was huge in Italy, and Italy likes just the haunted house, flat, like, go big, gore, extravagant thing. And so Sam Raimi said, okay, fine, I'll just do the first one again. But, exaggerated. I'll just give them more of the same, but to a higher degree. And I love it. <laughs> We've talked before that, you know, as uh, the people who are backing uh, the creative geniuses, you have to be really careful, right? Because we've seen what happens when a director... A screenwriter says, fine, you want witches? I'll give you witches. Right, we've seen that film, and that was hereditary with its very clear problems there at the end. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely correct that this is the film that is a product of of some some decisions that are sort of independent of Raimi. The other thing I was reading about this film is that um, that also contributes to the camp is the, the color of the blood. So they were hoping by having the blood look so unrealistic that they wouldn't get knocked in terms of their rating because the first film had, uh, you know, a rating that meant that a lot of people didn't get to see it. Um, and it didn't matter. It didn't, in the end, it still got rated um, R uh, or higher than R. It still got rated, you know, uh, significantly more restricted than they anticipated. But but we have another thing, right? Like that the color of the blood, which was, again, a very um, uh, practical decision, ends up ends up bleeding into... Uh, bleeding? I know. I, I was hoping that, that, <laughs> that it would just, like, slip under the radar um, into the the sense of artifice. Um, so from that point of view, I think if, if we're seeing this film solely through the lens of camp, um, I think it forgives... A lot of a lot of its issues, right? Like with Ash and his um, lack of of the sophistication of that character. Like with the um, you know hillbilly character, the fact you can just refer to each character by their archetype. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I think by one one of my favorite things is is that this film makes no sense simultaneously. Makes no sense if you've seen Evil Dead. And if you haven't seen Evil Dead, right? If you've seen Evil Dead, you're like, I don't understand why they're still alive. I don't understand why it's a different Linda, but not a different Ash. Um, but if you haven't seen the film, you're like, what is happening? We're like 10 minutes in and there's already like this evil presence. It is one of the fastest fir- first acts of all time. It's like not even five minutes long. No, it's a, it's shocking, actually. Um, and it only works if you've seen Evil Dead, but simultaneously, right? And so again, if we go back to this idea of camp and this, this sense of it being strongly exaggerated, it is a perfect text because 
it's in this really weird liminal space in terms of you know adaptation is it a remake or is it a sequel no and yes right and it's and the yeah it's no and yes because it's not about it most and most we get into there's a lot of debate in film about like what's more important content or uh the actual stylization how it's shot like form content versus form and this film prioritizes form specifically a heightened stylized exaggerated form over any content it's not about content in the slightest you will watch this movie and you will get no morals out of it there is nothing to be gained from the plot and so I can I absolutely can see why if looking at this film from like a critical standpoint, if you want to do like a deep dive on gender in Evil Dead 2, oh, it is not going to work. It is going to be inc- probably incredibly problematic and simplistic because the nature of camp is artifice. Quotation marks. Everything is gender. Ash is gendered. Linda is gendered. But only in that quote quotation mark sense. Yes. So if you're looking at this film to be a progression, right, or a um, development, uh, that's that's not what you're going to get. And this I think this leads us to the second sort of um, one of the second big sort of lumpings, if you will, of of items in Sontag's description. And that is um, she she spends a lot of time talking about whether or not camp can be naive or deliberate. And she argues that ultimately she feels like things that know itself to be camp or, uh, or campy are usually less satisfying and can actually like prevent it from being campy. Um, and, and I, I think this is one place where evil dead two, uh, might prove the exception because it definitely, definitely knows that it's campy. Um, and, and I think it succeeds in a lot of those ways, but there are some important reasons for that, I think. Yeah. So I think I, that's so interesting because I don't know if I necessarily agree with, that assessment because i don't know i think naive versus deliberate camp is a lot more complex than that i think that naive camp is anything that is focusing on just like making it as good as it possibly can it's not playing anything for the joke it's not like oh just just put a camera in front of that and just film that gag whatever i don't care i think naive camp has a lot to do with like focusing on the craft of a thing but it's just so much it's it's an excess that it is it doesn't make sense you're like what is what is this this is it looks beautiful that's an incredible dutch angle that you're using right there but why is everything wrong and i think that is what i think evil dead might actually despite having a lot of exaggerated elements intentionally particularly bruce campbell's performance that i think it can still fall into this naive camp and why it can still be satisfying and this is where i agree with you right so i think that it is a film that is aware that is trying to be exaggerated i think it's even a film that is is aware that like fine you want more we give you more um is it going to be ridiculous absolutely because that's what we're being paid to do but one of her uh one of sontag's lines is and i think this is really important is um only that which has the proper mixture of the exaggerated the fantastic the passionate and the naive Right. And I think that you are absolutely correct. And we talked about this with Evil Dead 1 as well, that almost despite itself, right, Raimi is a good director, sometimes I think almost in spite of of his efforts. (laughs) Um, You know, we talked in the first about the first film that there was the sort of around the world shot um, Mm -hmm. that that, you know, 
now I, I don't feel nearly as impressed that Aster has in his films. Um, I also, I don't know if you noticed in Evil Dead, but there was, instead of the um, around the world where, you know, it like starts on the ground and goes through the sky and then back to the ground, there was a, a, an around the world shot that was um, circular, uh, horizontally speaking, where it kind of like, in a really interesting way that felt very, like it wasn't just them circling around a character, right? Mm-hmm. There was some beautiful cinematography in this film. Um, you know, Campbell, like you said, is... is is so good at performing Ash that, that I think, you know, at no point, although there are some moments that he hammed it up, there are a lot of places where you could tell he was giving his best effort to be, um, not, not great in in the traditional sense, but he was giving his best effort to, to create a quality product. Right. And yeah, I I think, and I, I think at no moment, was Bruce Bruce Campbell being like, uh, I don't care about the logic of this scene. I, everything is very rational and logical to Ash based on this irrational and illogical world that he is in. I think that this distinction is going to be incredibly important in our discussion of Army of Darkness, which I have, I'm tipping my, I, I'm, I'm showing my hand here just a little bit, I have numerous problems with in this exact area because I I think that that's the difference between Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness is that Evil Dead 2 is naive camp whereas Army of Darkness is deliberate camp and thus less satisfying. And if we're going to use this framework, I would say that might actually be a good way to explain why there are certain things that stick out to me as sore thumbs. So I feel like the hillbilly gag um, is is an attempt for a deliberate camp, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and also, again, that early conversation he has with Linda where he's like, I'm a man, you're a woman. And he like, he doesn't literally make the sound, but he's almost like, yuck, yuck, yuck. And I was like, what is happening? Um, th- there are some moments when I think they are trying so hard that it, it spills over to deliberate and... Sontag is the first to say that anything is that is intending to be campy almost always fails. And she actually uses the word harmful, right? Like it's actually mm-hmm. harmful to the text. And I, I think that might explain why there are a few things that just don't sit right with me in this film. Um, that then, you know, will end up being exacerbated in a film where, you know, by this point they, they've realized that they're allowed to do camp, that camp has been successful. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've talked about this before, you know, sequels, um, or films in a series that try to try to mimic the magic of the comedy of the first film without making it make sense rarely succeed. Yeah, and I do want to clarify because I don't want to get hate from the Evil Dead community. I do still like Army of Darkness. Uh, it's just I don't think nearly as satisfying as this film or the first film. Everyone should see everything in the franchise, right? Oh, like, yeah, sure. I mean, I, yeah, so, so we're definitely not hating on it, but, but I think it's important to note that on the spectrum, right? Um, Max is out, right? I think at Army of Darkness, and then it tries to get, we try to get real serious again with the, the true remake of Evil Dead. Um, and then the show is a whole separate beast altogether. Yeah. And the musical is, and the musical, yes. A separate beast, too. So, <laughs> 
Brace yourselves, dear listeners, because Anthony and I decided that we're going to try desperately hard um, to to do an episode on the musical as well, so that we can truly say that if it is an official part of the the franchise, um, that it makes it into our our stories. So going back to um, to the the items that Sontag gives us, we've talked about this one, but I think it's really important that that again, uh, she says that that camp. Um, if something is bad rather than camp, I love this. When something is just bad rather than camp, it's often because it is too mediocre in its ambition. The artist hasn't attempted to do anything really outlandish. It's too much. It's too fantastic. It's not to be believed. Our standard phrases of camp enthusiasm. And I think what is so great about this film is that it's on multiple levels that we're seeing this. Um, and yes. it's it, that this idea of too much. And, and one of them that I, I really personally appreciate um, is the sheer amount of, of fake blood, right on our list of it's too much. I am delighted by the amount of, of blood that the evil dead franchise alone has used on their films. Yeah. I think that, I think that it is, that is, this is, I mean, I think everything uh, that we've talked about so far has applied to Evil Dead 2, but I think this is the most important aspect of Susan Sontag's essay that can be directly applied to Evil Dead 2. It's just because that spirit of extravagance that she's talking about in being essential to camp is the core feature of Evil Dead 2. Why is there a scene in which all of the furniture starts oh, laughing so and glad moving you mentioned- around? It it doesn't make sense. It's way too much. It's like, okay, what's happening? I get maybe one thing, like the deer laughing, like one, or like the lamp moves slightly. We're used to that. But everything in the room suddenly starting to move and laugh, it it doesn't make sense. It's too much. And yet, that's why it's amazing. That's why it works. Yeah. Yes. The, the corpse you know, dancing in the field, right? Actually, the whole, all of Linda's dancing, right? Like, you're like, I didn't need, first off, that whole dance sequence because it went on like a touch too long again, right? And then, but then you're like, okay, wait a minute. I'm going to actually see a dancing corpse. I mean, like, there are things that just are so ridiculous and and they're so over the top. And and it's right. It's, quote, too fantastic. Um, and, And I think one of the ways in which um, one of the ways in which the hillbilly element does fit um, appropriately is that like evil dead one is a pretty simple story. It's a group of people who go to a cabin, um, find something that they shouldn't have mayhem habits. Evil dead two is the story of some college age uh, individuals who find a, a, a haunted ish um, cabin. It's also the story of this like, um, expedition, this like mm-hmm. hero's journey to get to the cabin. Mm-hmm. It's also the story of this this scientist who has been on like an archaeological quest. Yep. Right. Um. It's also the story. I mean, there's just so many stories that are ho- like thrown on top of each other that you expect it to break under the sheer weight of of just. But wait, let's just add one more. Um. And it just keeps adding on top of each other in a way that again is perfectly appropriate. For camp. Yeah, you can't you can't say that Sam Raimi didn't try. You can't say that Sam Raimi wasn't ambitious. 
uh, you can you can have qualms with whether or not that his ambition was met. Like, is this a good end result? Maybe, maybe not. You don't. Not everyone's going to agree. However, what you can't deny is that he didn't try. He did try so much, and he put it all out there. And I do mean all. And thus, yes, that's camp, baby. That's camp. It is, and. Sontag talks a lot about the fact that, you know, camp is about style over content, aesthetics over morality, um, of irony over tragedy. One of the sentences that I think if you could use as, it wouldn't make for a very funny tagline, but you could use as a tagline for um, this film is, she says, the whole point of camp is to dethrone the serious. Camp is playful, anti-serious. And here's where I really like. More precisely, camp involves a new, more complex relation to the serious, one can be serious about the frivolous, frivolous about the serious. And mm-hmm. this, you know, I mean, this is a film about um, murdering one's significant other, yep. self-mutilation, yep. the destruction of a nuclear family, mm-hmm. Gone. Um, destroying, you know, like using science to take someone else's culture, right? Yep. Um, it, uh, the deconstruction of, of reason and science, um, like it's, it's all of these things and it shouldn't be an, an, and demon possession. Right? Sorry. Can't and then it that. ends in medieval um, time. And then it ends in medieval times. It could not be more frivolous about these super, very serious things. But I think that that first part, one can be serious about the frivolous. I think where we see that in the film is, is again, through the production. Right. Mm-hmm. They're taking this frivolousness very seriously. And so we get to see a quality film that also happens to be defined by by frivolity. Yeah, I it's that which I think is something that I particularly enjoy is that there's absolutely no attempt at moralization of anything. This film has no commentary and does not concern itself at all about whether any character's actions are good or bad, whether anything that happens in this film is a good or a bad thing. It is it totally removes that. Whereas so much so many films are just driven by this like, oh, I've got to do the right thing even though it's hard or or I don't have to do the right thing. I can do whatever I want. This film is just like, well, there's no good or bad. This is not a world defined by good or bad. That it, those are those are entirely superficial uh, concepts, and so once you remove those, it's super interesting to see what happens. And and one of the things that I think happens, um, and this sounds like a strange thing to say about a, a film that that is as you know again as much about like demonic possession as this film is. But it's it's a very um, pure film, and and I mean that in that uh, within the horror genre we've we've talked a lot about um, films that that sort of leave a, a bad aftertaste in your mouth, not because necessarily they were poorly made, but because they're just so so judgmental um may, and possibly rightly so right in their in their portrayal of humans but but in their portrayal of culture or there's just something about them that just doesn't feel good right yeah. like so i personally and i apologies if you love this film 
because you absolutely can and should. But I personally am not a big fan of, of Silent Hill, the, the first film. Um, because for me, it just feels like it's trying to make you feel gross. Uh-huh. Um, and that's fine. And that's an aesthetic. And that's one that lots of people like. Um, and it's different from the video game plane. But I feel like Evil Dead 2, and this goes back to another um, element of, of Sontag, Sontag um, she says, camp taste is above all a mode of enjoyment, of appreciation, not judgment. Camp is generous. It wants to enjoy. Yeah. Um, and it has the sort of like, if any um, cynicism, it's going to be a sweet cynicism. And I feel like that's in play in this. And, and it's- this ties back into something that we talk a lot about on this podcast. The difference between affirmative and disaffirmative horror. Affirmative horror is one that ultimately at the end of the day says that the problem is things that are coming against and the status quo so once we get those things away we can return to the status quo whereas disaffirmative horror is all about oh the problem really is us we're the monster under the sheet evil dead 2 is neither affirmative or disaffirmative I'm so happy you said that because as you brought this up, I was like, okay, here's what I'm hoping he'll say because here's what I think. Um, And then I was like, ooh, but if he says the opposite, we're going to have to throw down. So I 100% agree. Um, What is your reason for making that claim? Because it it takes away the entire status quo because the the status quo in any society, any societal norms is hingential on the delineation of the sacred the good and the unsacred or the bad but this film has no judgment it doesn't pass any judgment on what is good or what is bad there is no sacred or unsacred everything is on the table nothing is off limits anything can happen and thus it doesn't affirm any status quo and it can't disaffirm or reject any status quo or say that that we're the real problem with the system it's not the status quo because it doesn't have any of those elements. It's just entire, it's operating entirely outside of the status quo and outside of the system. And I would, I would a hundred percent agree with that and, and go um, a little further and, and say that the film presents us with, with both, with both perspectives, right? We have examples in the film where we can say, um, literally that it's affirmative right it is an outside potentially outside this world threat coming in but at other times it is literally our own hand against us right like it couldn't be more disaffirmative in some respects Mm -hmm. and i think that the film it's not just that it's outside of the the out you know that it's outside of this box i would say it also just doesn't care like it's like okay yes there's problems with the status quo. Yes, there's problems, um, you know, that that extend beyond the status quo. Who cares? <laughs> right? Like, that's not as interesting as what we're doing. Um, and I think, you know, you and I have talked before um, about whether or not horror comedy, by being uh, comedic, can can ever truly be disaffirmative at the end of the day, right? Because of, of the nature of comedy being a largely culturally affirmative um, genre. And and so I'm so glad you brought this up because I think this might be the first film that I can think of now that is definitely a comedy, uh, horror comedy that I say cannot be um, affirmative. Because like you said, it, mm-hmm. it just refuses to accept that binary no, as yeah. a binary worth exploring. Yeah, it's... It, it... 
and I don't even know if it feels concerned. It's not even. It, you're right, because it's like maybe those binaries exist. Maybe that's true. Who cares though? That's not why. Yeah. Why would you? Why should we be limited to those binaries, even if they are there and they do exist? Doesn't matter. There are more interesting, frivolous, extravagant things that we can discuss, and that's what Evil Dead Two does. This this idea of of you know just sort of being disinterested in the in the binaries um, comes up actually in an article that's that's looking at Evil Dead Two um, and. I worked with the zombie and some, some other uh, films, and and it's by a woman named Marsha England, and it's called "Breached Bodies and Home Invasions." And what she says uh, as she's talking about this is, "quote When the home becomes fluid and spatial boundaries break down, the implications are the exposure of the myth that there is a distinction between family members and alien others, between private home and public space, mm-hmm. between personal microcosm and socio political macrocosm." Right, and so I think this is really interesting because even though it's a cabin and not not a um, perhaps more traditional understood home like in the suburbs Mm -hmm. um, it's still a home and it's still being invaded and still being breached and and so here's another way right like so it's not just through its aesthetic of camp it's through other elements of of design Mm -hmm. Um, and I would say that the the, um, presentation of the uncanny that runs heavily throughout this film so one of the reasons I don't know that if I could ever make this a regular watch in, in the Troyer household is that I am just so profoundly disturbed by um, the creature makeups yeah. um, and the special effects and the claymation, all of that really, and it's intentional, right? Like, but it really makes me feel uncomfortable and it just, it wigs me out. And I um, agree. And it's not, I think it's that and another element that we're not going to have time to fully explore, but it's worth mentioning anyway, is that the grotesque element that is certainly at play yes. here. This, And that's a yet another refusal to acknowledge binary because the grotesque relies entirely on this weird mix between the tragic and the comedic which is entirely what camp is also operating in and is what evil dead 2 is all about and then we get our final moment right in a decision so again this was largely uh because Raimi was determined to to bring us to medieval times but the the ending of the film it, we have broken our spatial constraints. We've broken our social constraints. Um, we've broken our generic, tr- um, as in genre-based constraints. And then at the end, he says, so we need to make sure to break our temporal constraints. Yep. Um, and we have a scene that is not, I'm sure, unintentionally evocative of um, the tornado scene in Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. which also doesn't, you know, is, is just as outlandish and you know, uh, Wizard of Oz is, is often kind of claimed um, by by a lot of the people who who claim camp um, or who say that you know camp is is a certain group of people's prerogative, right? Um, so so there, I don't think it's it's an unintentional connection. Um, oh, I don't think so either. And and so yeah, this is where we end up, and so we end up with a film that is uh, to to end with the last of of Stone Talk's items. The ultimate camp statement, it's good because it's awful. Mm-hmm. And and that, in a nutshell, is all you need to know about Evil Dead 2. And you can and finish that sentence, it's good because it's awful with its awful lot of stuff there. It's Yeah, awfully good. <laughs> off, awfully bad, even. Awfully yeah. extravagant. Awfully whatever. It is just awfully. Yes. <laughs> Evil Dead 
that's maybe that that wouldn't be a great tagline, but just like awful, awfully. Yes. Yeah, and then insert yes, like yes, insert word here, right? Like that's what this film is, and that's just fantastic. Yeah, I don't think that either of us will be writing any catchphrases for films after the stuff we've suggested here today. No, no, other than our sheepers creepers uh, tagline. Oh wow, that's from uh, that's from many episodes ago. (laughs) I know. So you should listen to our episode on black sheep. But but other than that one moment. You and I have clearly proven, and even in that one moment, that this is, we are not intended um, to be creating marketing for, for any no, film. No, no, no. Thank you so much for listening to our episode of Evil Dead 2. As we have promised you, we will be weaving in the Evil Dead franchise throughout uh, the next several of our episodes. But because it is Christmas time, it is time to begin moving to all of the horror uh, films that also really understand that Christmas time is a dark time. Mm-hmm. So our next episode is going to be on uh, 1973's Black Christmas. And this will be the first of three episodes that we have around Black Christmas. We're going to hit the original from 1973. Then we'll move on to the 2006 remake. And then finally, on Christmas Day, we'll be dropping... A spooktacular special episode uh, over the 2019 version of Black Christmas. So, uh, awful lot of dark Christmas goodness coming your way. Yay! Thank you so much, and in the meantime, be sure to... Uh, give us a like, share our podcast with your friends, follow us on social media, which is linked in the description to this podcast, and uh, if you feel like it, please feel free to give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps uh, get our brand out there. And uh, yeah, just have a really wonderful day.